Hey, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. Did you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gate? For the love of God, come on, really? And if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style. With sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how. Through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or Towie with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hi, Dr. Anino. Welcome to the Rona Morale podcast. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Rona. And thank you so very much for having me on your podcast. Oh, honestly, for, for all the listeners out there, I'm, I'm genuinely um, honoured to have Dr. Anino. Now, I'm, I'm delighted to, to introduce Dr. Anino, who's the founder and managing director at um, Avantis Consulting. Um, it's a strategy and financial advisory firm based in France. And you are a corporate, former corporate banker. Um, and you have a plethora of non-executive director roles. And you also sit on the board of several organisations, including Nottingham Trent University, which is actually just up the road from me, <laughs> funnily enough. We, we just discovered that this morning. Um, you are a huge advocate of gender diversity in leadership and a member of the Institute of Directors Expert Advisory Group on all things diversity um, and inclusion. You also run a community uh, for 100 women at Davos, which I've been delighted to be a small part part of um, in Clubhouse and and various other events. So thank you. And you are globally recognised as one of the top 125 people to go to when it comes to diversity and inclusion. You are an award-winning speaker, um, and so hence I do feel honoured when you have been featured in Forbes um, and Global Banking and Finance Reviews, etc. Um, you're also a coach and mentor uh, for the Cartier Women's uh, Initiative and the Women's Development Programme at Nottingham Trent University. So I do hope when flights allow, we will get to meet face to face at some point Um, and also um, Sherry Blair uh, Foundation Mentor Illumini. Um, I could go on but I really really (laughs) want to get into talking to you so so thank you so much for joining me today and what I'd love to talk to you about is um, in, in that area of passion is how we progress women in leadership but with an angle on how we focus on emerging technologies. So I'd love to hand over to you to talk about how you do this, what we can do, and, and what we can discuss in this session. Rona, thank you very much for the, the wonderful introduction. And um, really, I am delighted to be here to talk about um, how to progress women in leadership, just to um, give us an idea of um, why is this important. And research after research has shown that diverse leadership leads to better outcomes for organizations, for society, and for economies. And so it is in the best interest of everybody. So it isn't a woman's issue, it's a societal issue. 
is the issue which is um, important to the world. And um, my focus on leadership is, is because of um, as follows. One, because um, that's where decisions are being made. And women are great at, at making decisions in tandem with men, of course, for the good of the planet, good of our economies, good of everybody. And so we need to have more women in leadership. And as well, that's where at the top, there is a lack of women. We have there's a lack of women at top leadership positions. If we look at the top firms in the world, across the world, probably 5% at CEO level. Wow. So and when we look at heads of state, it's probably about that or even less as well. And these are the positions that make the most important, um, these are positions that make the most important decisions for the world. So yes. that's the reason why we're focusing, or I focus on leadership anyway, and of course in entrepreneurship as well, in growing firms, because new firms are becoming more and more important. If you look at the biggest firms in the world, we find that over the last 20 years, there are actually new firms. And then of course, technology is driving and shaping our world today. It's no longer um, an industry. It shapes, it's part of everything we do. It's the foundation of, um, of business and it helps to scale business as well. So we need this. So that's a bit of, so that's the background of that. And um, so the question is, how do we get more women in leadership? Now, you, there's a lot of debate and you'll hear about that. And it says, sometimes you'll hear, it's not about women, it's about change, changing the environment, changing um, institutions and all of that. But if we remember that, I mean, obviously women constitute for 50% of the population of the world, it's a yeah. huge problem. And it's not a problem that has one solution. So we have to address it from all these areas. So one, we have to address it from the point of view of um, in, in organizations, what, what are organizations doing in terms of the culture that is facilitating or not uh, women's progress, right? What mm. can women do themselves? Because at the end of the day, if you haven't been in, um, allowed by the system to be in positions of leadership, then you're losing out on learning what is it that leaders need to get to the top. So, there's, so you have women themselves. Then you also have government policy, which is very important. I work on, on policy as well, government policy, which is very important, okay? So, and you also have institutions that um, help with research and all of that. So these are all the areas that we need to look at when we're looking at how to um, progress women in leadership. And STEM is very important. If we look at emerging technologies as well, in fact, that's quite frightening because we know that in technology, that um, gender diversity, that the figures are quite low, but in terms of leadership in emerging technologies, it's even worse. Wow. And yet emerging technologies um, will determine a lot of what it is, it, it is, how our lives are being run. Artificial intelligence in robotics, um, Bitcoin, for example, blockchain, and um, um, fintech as well, financial inclusion. So it's quite worrying and we need to um, get onto it now and not wait for another 200 years and try to deal with it then. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when, when I was involved in one of the um, 100 women at, at, at Davos, one of the things that really shocked me was the amount of investment given to female entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs. And actually a lot of the products and services that would benefit women um were were run by men and so why do you think that is why do, is it because it's mainly men investing so they just subconsciously connect better or what do you think the issue is yes it's, it's history it's, it's a legacy problem 
It's absolutely a legacy problem. If we look at um, venture capitalists, where did they come from? They were the investors, right? Or rather, they were the entrepreneurs. And, and um, they were entrepreneurs. And so they, they had made money and are now investing their money. That's one side. The other side of venture, capital, uh, venture capitalists is, of course, from investment banking, which, of course, is male-dominated because of, of the work culture, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's a legacy issue. And the, because the entrance points, the entr- entry points into venture capitalism has been from male-dominated areas. So that has been the, the history and the legacy. Mm-hmm. And also when you look at the finance sector in general as well, leadership has been male-dominated for historical reasons for hundreds of years. If we remember, even in the UK, UK, France, and America, it's only in the 1960s, 1965, if I'm not wrong, that women were allowed to open bank accounts without having their husband's um, approval. So it is relatively recently in the last 50 or so years that women have actually really been allowed to run their affairs and banks, right? Financial affairs have been around for hundreds of years. In fact, um, if you look at the history in Florence or whatever, it's, it's, uh, I think about the the sort of middle ages, sort of 14th, uh, 15th, 16th century, right? Uh, With Banco, a bank was, uh, came from Banco the Bench, right? Trading. So if you look at that, if you look at that history of, of you know, centuries, and yet it's only been in the last 50-something years that we've had the freedom to make decisions. There's a huge legacy issues, issue. So the banking institution wasn't made, and the service weren't made for women. Yeah. They were created by men, for men. That's how it was, okay? So those are the reasons, legacy reasons, right? And then what has worsened it is that venture capitalism has really accelerated and actually the, 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 the cradle of venture capitalism is actually in um, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Technology and women as well. Historically, women as well at the beginning were very much part of um, um, technology, right? But for some reason, um, have sort of um, the numbers in proportion have reduced. Melinda Gates, for example, spoke about it when she joined um, Microsoft, that there were more women in terms of proportion at the time she was there than now. So yeah. these are actually frightening, right? And these are the reasons why we need to work really hard to try to correct you know, these um, anomalies, really, because they're, they're actually not normal. It's not normal. So if, you know, if you're... If you're a young girl out there and you're thinking about a a role and leadership in tech, what would you advise that kind of next generation to kind of challenge the norm? Or do you think it is going to take us another 200 years before that legacy and that cultural piece um, is really going to shift change? To be honest, um, I hope not, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, um, you know, spending a lot of time and effort because it's so important that we don't let that happen. So we have to be really proactive about that. Now, what do I tell a young woman? And um, this comes from my experience. When I I went to uh, the school I went to, which was Queen's College in Lagos, Nigeria, which was a state school. And I left school without any reason to think there were any barriers. You know, women who were engineers, lawyers, doctors, all of that, it was normal because that's how we were brought up. And actually I found it odd, strangely enough, when I came to study in the UK and I was in a girls' boarding school and I found that women's ambitions were actually different. Mm. Um, some of them weren't good work, some of them wanted to be secretary. And, and this was totally different to my background. And yet I was coming from Africa, right? And this was yeah. in Europe. 
And so um, what that tells me now, at the time I didn't understand it, is that it's your environment shapes very much the way that you think and you don't realize it. So sometimes we think we make choices, but actually um, we only make limited choices. Our environment shapes the way we think, mm. right? Sometimes about certain things. So the first thing is that in terms of science and technology, it's become very sort of masculine for some reason. I studied maths, maths was my best subject, but it was nothing special. It was just normal, it was just a subject like any other. There was nothing feminine and masculine about any subjects I studied because I was in an environment that promoted girls', um, girls um, um, progress, okay? So we need to change that a little. And one thing that I think is that, I think women very often, young girls shut off when they hear technology because all they see it as being, as being very masculine. Yeah. But when you speak to women in technology over and over again, I speak to so many, and what it is you keep hearing is that it's all about solutions. And we love solutions. Women love solutions. We love fixing things. When we see things that are wrong, when we want to make things better, yeah. So I think is how we also, um, you know, speak to, to, to young girls about technology, right? And um, I think it starts from school and how we introduce them. Technology isn't something that should be introduced as just um, uh, in terms of the use, because every young person uses technology, right? And even more than, you, than, than we do. But it's something that should be part and part of the system, not technology in terms of a subject, subject right? Yeah. But in terms of, it's the basis of everything, that we do so in school. So I think that when we have that and it's more culturally um, acceptable, right, we'll find that that changes quickly. It's not something that we should be addressing when um, children are sort of, you know, become 16. It's something that should be there from nursery school, from the toys that they play with, from the vocabulary in books, right? from the very beginning you know why don't i keep saying why don't you have those little coins right have a bitcoin little coin for them to play with right rather than you know and you know all of that i think from the very beginning is really important for, for, yeah. for boys and girls yeah and i think it's really interesting um i i have two daughters so i'm i'm quite an advocate of saying there's no such thing as a boy's sport or a boy's yes. book or a boy's toy yes. um they're just toys and i think it's interesting, actually, that you say you, you came from an environment where a lot of people would think actually um, women's progression wouldn't be there. You know, to hear that you've come from Nigeria and then come to Europe and women's benchmarks was maybe a domestic engineer or a secretary, etc. And there's nothing wrong with those roles. But that's really telling, actually. It is. It, it is. And th- th- but that but the good side of that, it tells us, right that we can do something, right? And it doesn't have to wait generations. And it also tells us, even though times are different, right? That we are not so much bound by what is happening out there, that within the institutions, within the educational system, that we can make change within a generation. And one thing that um, you did ask, the last question you did ask is, what would I say to young people, young girls? And it's simply this, is just do it, just dare to do it. It's there, it's out there, really, and just be curious about it. And more and more, there's uh, the, the more and more spaces. One thing that I think is also important, um, I'm not sure the ones that exist, I know they do, but there are lots of networks for young women in technology. And when you then go and see people like you immediately, mm. and they're just like you, just normal people, but this is our interest, you then become part of something rather than feeling you're doing it 
on your own. So that's the thing that I'd also advise, you know, find um, a, a network in your locality to join now. So many things are online, you, you know, find them and just um, participate. And you'll find that um, it's, uh, technology is just, it's just a normal part of our world, really. And yeah. there are more and more opportunities. So please, you know. I guess, and that's a really key thing actually, isn't it, about um, opening up your your eyes to kind of networks and, and conversations, because if you yes. define your conversations and networks to what you believe or you have a lack of confidence you're not going to grow that and like you say the moment you step into a network and you go oh my god there's actually thousands of people like me who want to do this Mm -hmm. it drives that confidence and then that curiosity I guess for, for young girls to be able to feel okay and um a benchmark to set I guess for them to to follow absolutely absolutely very right yes so in terms of, tell me more about um, what you do with 100 women in Davos and c- kind of explain that to me a little bit more. Okay, well, it's an interesting story. What happened was, um, I think four or five years ago, um, I had the opportunity to attend the World Economic Forum. And my first impression, you know, of course, you're really looking forward to this. But my first impression was walking into the, the conference center and I felt I was like a fish out of water. And uh, no one really looked like me. Right. Very few women. And you can imagine even less black women or women of color. Yeah. And so without realizing it, because in any case, I'm not an extrovert, I'm introvert. Immediately, you just felt um, out of place. And it was subconscious in a sense. And I just didn't feel quite right. Mm. But then, you know, something said to me, because um, I'm here, I'm here for something. And I'm here to add value. And I know I can add value, even though you're here to, you're there to experience and listen and learn, but you also can add value. And um, I met a couple of women and we're talking and immediately just meeting them changed things. And I thought to myself, um, we're always concentrating on the lack of women, but not a lot of focus on the women that are there. And so the next time, the next year I, I, I went in there, I went in there with a kind of plan, you know, and I met up with a couple of people. And then I thought, we must do something. And then I then said, okay, the third time I thought, let's have this group. And before I went, you know, I asked people, you know, do you know anyone, any woman who's going to um, uh, uh, Davos World Economic Forum? And that's how we started the network. Amazing. And uh, by the fourth time, it became a uh, hundred of us. And not only that, in last year, I launched the first, the first, uh, shall I say, the first inclusive international women's business leadership event there which was three times oversubscribed, you know? <laughs> amazing. Yes, and, um, and the group has been amazing because normally people would meet each time, each year, but what we have done is actually we've continued that. And in fact, we've done quite a few sort of interesting things uh, since then. So do you now kind of obviously use that network in terms of connecting and, and do you kind of meet throughout the year as well? Absolutely. Um, obviously, we haven't we haven't been able to meet physically because of the um, uh, the pandemic and and um, the restrictions. But we have met online. We do have um, uh, founding founding committee members, so we have met. But also, we use that platform as a way because it's a platform of of impact driven women leaders, mm. and we use that platform for very many things. So, for example, in January this year where um, the Davos agenda was um, digital by the World Economic Forum because they didn't meet, it's been postponed to August. We also held alongside 
um, an event, a leadership dialogues, where we had top leaders from all areas, you know, from different areas of the world. We're talking about sustainability, really, and um, sustainability and inclusion and inclusive leadership. And then we had a special session as well, which was on the financing women's entrepreneurship, which we just talked about as well. Yeah. How do we better get? How do we get more funds to female-led uh, ventures? And so we've used that as a platform to um, bring in leaders of thought leadership, right, but also to help women in the terms of their visibility, for example. Yes. So um, we are recognized. So, for example, we've had um, I've had top top leaders you know, approach me when they are interested in um, women to promote. We have one which will come out soon, you know, um, promote globally for different reasons or for boardroom appointments or whatever. So people recognize us. Or sometimes we are given invitations to invite the group to top leadership events as well. Mm. So it gives that visibility to, to women. It also allows us to be able to share experience with other women, right? And um, so that's why we're on Clubhouse every two weeks. We think it's very important. And it's all about giving value to other women for them to be able to um, hear from us, right? And ask their questions and how we can help them. Because we feel that this is not something you do on your own. We really need to have as many women as possible and um, have helping to elevate them as well. I can, and, and I can highly recommend any any of the listeners um, dialing yeah. in and, and going into Clubhouse on those sessions because they are they are fantastic and they're quite... You know, a bit like you when you had that moment walking into the room and it's kind of thought provoking and it, and, and those th those trails of thought can lead you to really exciting places. How how do you um, feel about people approaching you into the network for the genuine desire to bring diversity and inclusion rather than a tick box exercise? How do you kind of approach that? Yes, you see, this is a thing, and um, there's been a lot of controversy, controversy, you know, in terms of um, DNI and you know our organisations or people wanting just to tick box. But you know, but the thing about it is, I think that very often we tend to focus right on the negatives. Very often, the negatives are the are in the minority actually. Mm. So what um, we try to do is focus, keep focusing on the positives. For everyone who wants to tick a box, right. We believe there are multiple who are actually serious about it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, because we believe this isn't, this isn't, um, shall, we, shall we say, just an equity issue. When it's equity, everybody deserves equal chance. Of course they do. But it's also about what is best for the firm, what's best for society, what's best for the economy. And when and we see organizations over and over again realizing, realizing that, and very influential organizations as well. So mm -hmm. I think that, that the point is that. Um, even though, even if you have those who tick box, right? If they, if they do do it, it's an opportunity, right? For the, for people who are in there to, to make change, right? It gives yeah. you an entrance and they can see. And to be honest, right now, what is happening? There's a war, war for talent, right? And what's happening is that people who are good, when they get into places and find that you're not serious, right? What happens is that they leave and go to go to other places. And employers very often are not don't realize, right, that, that people are deselecting them, right? Yes. They think that they're in the market for the best. They don't realize that the best are actually the ones who actually have a choice and are saying, look, I've seen your team. It doesn't look as if you're diverse. I've experienced this many times, several times with people I mentor. And I say to them, but you know, this organization who wants to interview you 
perhaps, you know, they won't have more diverse. And they're saying, uh, no, thank you. I am not going to be the, the one to be the diverse member. These are top talent. This is top talent. Yeah. So top talent is deselecting. And this is the message I keep, you know, I share it with organizations that, you know, top talent is deselecting you if they don't feel that what you're doing is serious. And another thing is that the tick box, there are ways to tell the tick box, right? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you don't realize um, organizations may not, may not be del- deliberate, but one, where does DNI report to? The CEO is a chief diversity officer. If he, mainly he, is not interested, right? And it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Does the, does the head of diversity have a budget? Do they have people responding, um, uh, reporting to them? If they don't, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not getting anywhere. So you can tell already from the outside, honestly, about who's serious about it. Yeah, so two key questions. And when you know the answers, you, you pretty much know, don't you? And I guess, actually, it's a bit like how um, businesses treat their consumers. Consumers can have a powerful voice. And it's just like the global network of employees. They, too, have a voice in terms of when they move on and when they talk in the industry about it's, it's kind of the good boyfriend and the bad boyfriend. It's the same yes. in business or girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> it is the North. Yes. Uh, the North. Um, so I think that that is very very relevant if you've had a negative experience and then you you move on and the the power of that i think not enough businesses understand that that's right it it is true um but what what i do see as well and where i think is is is, uh, where my work is focused is on organizations who get it but they don't know how to do it because understanding it that this is important is one step, but how do you do it is another step. So that's where, you know, a lot of my, my, my um, effort is sort of concentrated on helping organizations, you know, to, um, who, who are interested and mm. how do we get there? And so if you had a, um, a business approach you and sort of say, look, we, we know we haven't got the skill sets, we're lacking in that diversity. We believe in the benefits, both culturally and economically what you know without giving away your obviously your trade secrets but how how does somebody go about um engaging in that process and and fundamentally starting that journey okay for me the first thing is that and my own personal belief is this it may not always work but i think that um because my work is with leadership i always start from the top and when i say the top not even the ceo or the c-suite or from the board Mm. The board needs to understand that this is important. So the first thing is at least is from the board level. And I've seen it at boards where boards are serious. You know, it then um, comes through, through leadership down into the organization. So that's where it starts from, from the board. What is the board saying? How serious are they? And that to me is the starting point before you then move into the the C-suite and the chief executive. And actually, it's interesting because leadership isn't necessarily um, a, a high level role. You can be a leader of a small team in, in, in digital or on the shop floor. And so I think it's important, isn't it, in terms of how that filters down and the importance of your role at any level within the organisation. Very important. And this is what we say to young people um, today. And um, I've written on, on, on that, um, you know, fairly recently to young people is to, to also say that leadership starts at, there's leadership at every level. Mm. And if there's anything the world le- needs right now is leadership. And um, so whether it's within organizations or communities, you know, we need leadership. 
and therefore people should start to feel that they are empowered and they have, you know, um, they do have the possibilities to influence because leadership is about influencing as well because people need to believe in what it is you're saying and you need to show by example and, you know, so there is the possibility. So leadership is very important right now. And um, I know that some pe people feel stuck because if they have a view about certain things and they feel that the organization feels differently about it, then you sort of feel stuck in the middle as well. But if the top leadership does believe in this, then it should be something you're absolutely right that people take through throughout the organization, right? And say, yes, we can see that, organize, that leadership, this is important and this is what we can do to contribute. And you find that because change, diversity and inclusion requires uh, cultural change within organizations. Yeah. And culture is about people, it's how people, what people do and how they, they react. So when the uh, people lower down in the organization take charge and say, yes, you know, we believe in this, right? And this is what we do and the change behavior, then absolutely, you know, things become, things start to change. And yeah, change and I think it's really interesting when you, um, you know, when I was a young female, I guess, in, in business, there was always this assumption that the, the people at the top of the chain knew everything and, and, and they were experienced in everything. And you soon actually realise that that's not necessarily true. And I think what's refreshing with the young talent um, um, in businesses is they have an inept way to ask the obvious questions that make you stop and think and go, wow, I've not thought of it from this point of view. And as you say, they're all on tech. So they kind of know what's what's new and, and, and how to use it. And they're full of ideas. They're still in that kind of child mode of why, why, why. And I think we need to harness that more. Um, and where you have a board, you know, look at those opportunities to bring in some of the youth within your organization to elevate them into that process so you have a real circular um, thought and allow them access to ask those questions because I think they come up with some incredible um, you know mic drop moments where you can see people in, in senior positions kind of go oh I you know haven't thought about that or that's a really good push so I think where organizations can encourage that bottom-up you know, empowerment, risk-taking um, opportunities, you see the general sort of passion that the, the business has. And I think culture and passion is, is such a huge thing. So you, you, you really, um, you, you hit the nail on the head, very important. There is a generation gap. Um, and when you talk to young people, they sort of understand that the older generation, right, um, who are not digital natives are sort of different. And so you have to work hard, right, to remove that sort of, um, that sort of a bridge, between, you know, and, and sort of create a bridge between the two because they automatically understand that. And that means that therefore, sometimes in the way that it's discussed and relate, they relate and discuss with the older generation in a different way. And that's disastrous because it means you're losing out from learning from them. So this is where we talk about reverse mentoring, right? Where the older people, you know, work yeah. with young people and learn from them. And it's fascinating. It's interesting, but I mean, it's interesting and it's fun, right? Yeah. Also you learn so much. 
because at the end of the day, they are the consumers right now, um, the, the generation um, Y. Now, I mean, they are getting to, to what, 30s or more fairly, you know, they are earning substantial amounts of income. So yeah. they are the consumers, they, they are the important consumers, right? And they're getting to middle level, middle level um, executive positions now. So we need to, and they are, they have the talents that organizations need. So really that gap, we need to bridge that, okay? Yeah. And really understand what the younger people, um, what they're thinking, what they need, what's important to them, how they can contribute, right? And then of course we have a um, Generation Z as well coming. So very, very important, absolutely important, really. We need to include them. And that's an interesting concept of reverse mentoring. I know that yes. um, through my work with the Prince's Trust, I have two young um, females that I, that I mentor, but I say to them constantly, you'd be amazed how much I learn from you in every <laughs> conversation. And whether it's new industries or new tech or new ideas, you know, and, and kind of those why questions, yes. I, I am forever learning from them. And, you know, I love that element of it. So I think, you know, maybe there is more in this reverse mentoring that more organizations need to, to, to embrace and, and, and celebrate. Yes, yes, I, I, I think there is. In, in fact, um, I th was it last year or the year before, I did um, a workshop on that, you know, um, how do you work with, uh, intergenerationally, how do you work? It's very important, it's key, because there's one thing of trying to transfer skills, but very often the older generation don't realise that some of the skills that they have actually are a little bit um, obsolete, really. <laughs> yes, yeah, and but as, you know, a, as as a young person, you're terrified. You would you would yes. dream of telling a director or a CEO that, you know, the fact that you can write a message on LinkedIn probably isn't the scope of social media <laughs> now. So yeah, that that's quite I and I love that. And I love the idea that it can be fun as well. You know, it is all about um interjecting that purpose and fun into a into a business. And I think one of the other things that fascinated me uh, when I spoke to you was around how much more successful um, diverse startups are when they get yes. funding, especially when, when run, run by women as well, than male startups. Yes. So surely if the stats are saying, you know, you've got a higher chance of a return on investment with a female founded startup than male, and, and let's, you know, let's say the money, it's all about the money. Why still then is, is, are we not seeing that take up? You know, this, this takes me back to uh, a question I had in a different area, I mean, which actually had to do with finance and entrepreneurship, right? But this was when I was doing my doctorate many years ago. Mm. Because when I was doing my, during my studies and we're talking about, um, I was researching or looking at how cultural change affects decisions, right? decision-making in terms of granting loans and all of that. And in terms of looking at the theorists in this area, I saw those, I had an issue. I, I said, no, this doesn't happen in this way from my experience in banking, right? People behave in a certain way. Why is this, why are the theorists not looking at this? And mm. I couldn't understand. And these were, you know, seminal articles until one I read, and I think it was, um, it was a, a top researcher, it's top researcher in um, uh, uh, economic sociology and what he said was this and was really interesting not in a paper but he said this 
that the research that I've been doing does not cover cultural change. It only covers change that happens through um, changing laws and practices. You know why? Very simply, because cultural change, he said, can take 200 years. And so if we're trying to research something that's gonna take 200 years, we're not gonna get any, anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. So the point of that is just to say that cultural change is very difficult. So you and I, everybody you can know about something, you know that this is better, but culturally it's difficult to change our practices. Mm. So people know and people are aware, but it's not so easy to change. Culture tends to, to change when you have um, a, sudden, a sudden event, right? Usually something which is um, like a disaster or something, yeah. for example, the stock exchange or something happens. The pandemic, for example, is one, mm. okay? Culture is very often difficult to change. So this is why you have to really work hard at it, right? And take um, things which are happening today and use that as a, a, a way to make things happen. So very often it's just simply, you just use, it's legacy, you're just used to doing it in this way and it's just difficult to change. And I suppose so, in a way, it, yes. it, it's like that piece that we, we started talking about at the very beginning is that nature nurture about the, right. the environment that you're brought up in and how you change that. And often in personal lives, it takes a disaster, an illness, a death or something sure. for you to have a sharp change. Sure. So I think for me, there is, is something around, I guess, the more young entrepreneurs are setting up and are in leadership, that cultural change hopefully will expedite. But yeah, kind of worrying that it could take another hundred years or so for, for this to happen. But, you know, this is what we're very much aware of, which is why when you hear the conversations and one thing that we shouldn't um, assume is when you're aware of certain things as well. In fact, as you said, people are aware, but sometimes I find that people aren't aware. Actually, Once you have knowledge, you tend to assume that everybody has, has that knowledge and very often they don't. Mm. So that's the first thing. Yeah. So you have to keep multiplying the, the conversations. OK, the first thing. And to even when people have the information, as we said, as we say, it's difficult to change. So when there's something that is so critical, we need to continue. And very often when you have a lot of people discussing that space, you have um, a lot of women groups and diversity and all of that. And people say, do we need more? And many more? And my answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. Of the world is women. We have 3.5 billion women in the world. Of course we need more and more. And the more we work together, you know, the more it is that um, change will come quicker. So we need to continue what we're doing. We need to multiply, we need to accelerate, we need to amplify, in fact. And that is what will bring change, right? you know, rather than just saying that, look, it'll take that, that long. It's, it's more of, if we don't do, if we leave it as it is, right? Mm. The rate of, of change, at this rate of change, it'll take 100 or 200 years. In fact, I'm sure you saw the report, the World Economic Report, um, uh, World Economic Forum report that came out a few days ago, which is quite mm. dismal um, in terms of uh, women in the workplace, but all the more reason why we continue doing what we're doing and amplify. Um, exactly, exactly. And I think um, when I think back to the, the power of knowledge, I guess, it is that yes. there's a cultural piece about constantly wanting to learn and expand your your yes. your knowledge. And I know through my work at Prince's Trust or with ARC 2030 on climate change, you know, when you watch programs like Seaspiracy, Cowspiracy, you, you get that 
it's then what you do with that knowledge that then says, how do I empower others? You know, so I know straight away, I'll talk to my daughters about it and I'll talk to my Prince's Trust women about it, or I, I might post on social, but it, it is, it's incredible to think that the world's population is 51% women and yet, you know, we're the hardest hit in, in, in communities or yeah. pandemics and least likely to be yeah. voted in or, you know, supported financially. Um, it feels like a huge, it feels like, a bit like the tanker that got stuck in the Suez Canal recently. <laughs> it's like, how do we, are we all of those, you know, kind of little boats around it that are just going to kind of shift it and, and, and move it forward? But um, no, I think, I think it's a hugely fascinating, fascinating um, topic. I know we've, we've kind of run out of time now, but thank you so, so much for joining me today. I've absolutely loved the conversation. We'll continue to support um, women in business, women in startups, the next generation and, and kind of hopefully empower them to give them that knowledge. And I, I hope that the listeners can take this forward, not only culturally within their businesses and, you know, expect and demand more, um, but it also gets that kind of next generation thinking about they have the power of influence and what they can do with that. Um, so thank you so, so much, Dr. Anino. And um, I'm very much looking forward to, to getting this podcast out. Rona, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rona Morale podcast. Have an awesome day, and see you next time. <laughs>